Hi, this is Penoptivox number five. Um, I get to know the neatest people online, and one of those wonderful people is Yelena Vermillion. Um, and I got a chance to sit down with Yelena. She is a um, trans sex worker, model, um, activist, member of the IWW, all kinds of interesting and wild things. Um, and she's, she's smart as heck and uh, explained a good number of things to me and, you know, a, a great conversation ensued. Um, so I, I'm super happy to discuss uh, what the fuck is going on in Hamilton with Yelena Vermillion this week. Um, I also wanted to just very quickly let you know, this is not just a podcast. And, and I wasn't sure if I'd uh, said it before on the podcast, but we're building these interviews into a documentary that will be coming out in about a month or thereabouts. It's, uh, you know, basically I just have to manage to get enough time without going broke in order to edit it all together. But uh, thus far, collecting the information and paying attention to what the fuck is happening in Hamilton has uh, has been really quite interesting, and, and I think it's uh, really going to be an interesting piece. It's something that I'm already feeling very proud of bringing forward. Um, so uh, thank you, and here's my conversation with Yelena. Yelena Vermillion. Mm. It's so cool to see you. I've missed you. <laughs> I've been around. I missed you too. Um, actually, let's talk about what you were just doing. I because was sharing a post on Facebook regarding a predator um, who is uh, basically predating on sex workers in Toronto. And I was sharing that post among my networks to get the information out so that yeah. people can protect themselves. Exactly. And, and, and that's a really powerful and important thing. And it's something that you do often. Uh well, as, as part of my work through SWAP and SWAN, which is um, the Sex Workers Action Program of Hamilton and the mm -hmm. Sex Workers Action Network of Waterloo Region, um, <clears throat> part of that work is, is advocacy and maintaining the network so that we can make sure that we can spread our resources and our information to people who it will most benefit. So if there's a predator in the city that uh, people have reported about, that other sex workers or people have reported about, we want to disseminate that, whether or not it, there is the liability of um, a libel lawsuit um, to m allow people to make better choices and keep themselves safe. Yeah. And I mean, this is... We'd like to imagine that there's protection for people in a general kind of sense, right? <laughs> sure. And, and, and that's like kind of the, the myth of uh, our society is that we're all, we're all going to be safe. Just call the police. Right. I... Can sex workers call the police? Um, <clears throat> or do they? I or think, is think there... it, it's definitely a catch-22. Um, sex workers historically have a very... Um, power and balanced relationship with the police they often are criminalized um in canada we actually use the nordic model so what that means is that sex workers are not actually criminalized for selling their services um but their part their clients and any intermediaries or third parties like a photographer a bodyguard a driver so on and so forth are liable um including um potentially people that you live with if they're not direct um People, people that you're not directly in relationship with, either that, either that being family or friends. Um, so pretty much everybody on the periphery. Basically, yeah. Um, so while the actual law states in Canada that selling sexual services isn't a criminal act because of the um, the association with uh, criminal acts because of the other intermediaries and other parties in, in those exchanges are criminalized. Sex workers could call the police, but often their calls are going to be deemed um, a nuisance call even because sex workers are deemed to be, um, to lack credibility. Um, and a lot of police officers who may be um, having some really reductive or some um, progressive ideas about people who are in the sex trade mm -hmm. um, may see the violence that a sex worker faces as part of their um, That's what you get. occupational uh, hazards, which... Yeah. In my opinion, a pubic hair in the mouth is an occupational hazard, not death. At least, yeah. at least it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and the difference between those things is impossibly vast. Um, 
New Zealand has a slightly different model on how they're approaching this, and they've decriminalized, though they seem to not do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It, that's the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is seeking decriminalization rather than um, the Nordic model, which is mm-hmm. kind of a peripheral decriminalization, I suppose? It is. Um, <clears throat> I would argue that when you criminalize any part of an exchange, you're criminalizing all of it, but the um, point being that um, New South Wales and New Zealand uh, moved to decriminalize, but mm-hmm. a lot of the times when we're talking about decriminalization, we're using a misnomer because a lot of people don't understand <clears throat> the kind of decriminalization that sex workers advocate for, that which is not just an overhaul of the criminal laws that can prosecute sex workers and therefore imprison them for se- selling sexual services, but also the laws that target them through loitering laws, um, in education laws, other legislations that... Mm-hmm. Um, effectively bar sex workers from accessing banking um, services or other types of supports in the community. Uh, Um, The banking services seems to be a really big one when you look into it. It's like Oh, well, you can't even get PayPal or whatever. It's like Swap was just denied an account from First Ontario Credit Union. There you go. Mm -hmm. Which is really interesting because Swap isn't specifically doing anything other than advocacy work and communications work, right? They used the, they quoted their one policy in um, basically like the eligibility for people applying for accounts. They said that the, because our, because our group includes people who are current sex workers, that it does violate their policy, which states that they do not do business with people who are currently in the adult industry. So it is a direct discrimination. Yeah. And I mean, so even though it is not illegal, let's talk about, I'm sure there's don't have the direct numbers, but there's sex workers of all sorts all mm-hmm. over the place. And and I know plenty in different varieties. Mm-hmm. So there's pretty much every organization that I can think of has members who are active social or active social workers, even mm-hmm. sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that idea that they're going with the specifics of something like that, would, if properly applied, would apply to bloody almost anything. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a, a trap, and it's a, an example of the systemic oppression that sex workers face in, in living their lives, you know? Uh-huh. There's other um, forms that we could shed light on, such as travel restrictions or um, custody of your own children when you're found out to be a sex worker and judgments therein. Yeah. Um, you know, assumptions about what kind of person you are, or what your values may be, or even what your hygiene's like, you know, like mm-hmm. other kinds of things that um, are m- very overarching, you know, like I think that selling sex isn't that controversial um, at the end of the day, and I don't think that I think that the main reason why um, sex workers are reviled is because it, predominantly women who do sex work, um, can gain empowerment through that, and and there's sort of like the patriarchy which uh, shadows over it, and mm-hmm. you know among other types of oppression, there's like this resistance to li- sexual liberation among female or fem or femme perceived people, mm-hmm. um, because it would remove the power imbalance that we have. Well, I mean. In a historical sense, it's my presumption and you know, no way of really knowing, but sex work is something that's just always existed. Mm-hmm. And and probably before uh, there was any active societal idea of work, you know, in, in that fancy quotes kind of way. <clears throat> careerism. In, well, yeah, careerism in, in the capitalism kind of way was just one of the many things that people did, and it was mm-hmm. part of life, I presume. Um I th- personally, I look at it as an undercutting of the power of femininity, mm-hmm. um, and and it's one of one of many of those, and I feel like the societal progression, if we're in a state of progression, it sometimes feels iffy, but I I feel like, you know. Sex workers being more free is women being more free is generally speaking, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And that a lot of things that are at issue in our society, like I I look at homophobia and transphobia, and I'm like, a lot of that is just about women 
and hating women and oppressing yeah. women and keeping women down. Not to, you know, erode the specific negativities that trans people or... There's also anybody. racism involved oh, and God. xenophobia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just keep them down in any way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which brings us to, you're a trans woman. Hey. Hello. Hello, I am a trans woman. That is how I am defined. It's a weird thing um, in the sense that I end up talking about it bunches mm-hmm. just because people have that expectation out of me now and they're like, we would like to know your opinion as a trans person about this, that, or the other. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's the same as my opinion two years ago before you knew about all of this. <laughs> you didn't ask me then. Um, but as a trans sex worker there's specific mm-hmm. issues there as well and and probably even more tendencies toward violence um i'd say that you know first we need to recognize that i'm white and mm-hmm. um that definitely insulates me from a lot of violence that i could face mm-hmm. um one other thing that also insulates me from violence is strong boundaries um yeah. uh, having the ability to assert yourself is a very large asset in sex work in any part of life mm-hmm. really um where you may or could be taken advantage of. Um, and I feel that, you know, I've had very few violent experiences in my job. Um, and I've had, I've been doing this since 2013. Um, but a lot of that is, is, is owed to a degree, uh, my whiteness and a degree, um, how I operate my business. Like in the sense that I operate in a way that I call out clients and I vet them based on our interactions and Mm -hmm. I will um, refuse some clients based on criteria that I've pre-established for myself and and, uh, that's how I keep myself safe, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in conjunction with other resources like intuition, um, having a safe call, which is someone that you check in with before and after a booking. Um, But, uh, you know... Well, actually, let's delve into that Mm. because i'm sure you know somebody listening to this as a sex worker or a future sex worker are there things that one should be really careful about and do you have like tips that might help somebody sure i mean i think that like one of the biggest tips is to like know your area that you're working in and the sort of culture whether that means like if if you have lots of busts uh going down from police on whatever the demographic just like making sure that you're keeping yourself safe and out of uh, detainment um beyond that like when interacting with clients you're going to want to be really mindful of the kind of words that they're using the grammar the intonation and you you want to make sure that you are paying attention to those interactions and paying attention to how you feel in mm-hmm. response to those interactions because a lot of you know a lot of um the the choice to accept a, a client through the door um could come down to the simple conversation and and the the politeness or or the lack of resistance to um instructions for example mm-hmm. could all be indicators of someone who uh, is less likely to be violent of course people who mean us harm could act or pretend sure. to be a certain way but um the point being that we need to um you know act in a way to be as pro- proactive and preventative as we can mm-hmm. but ultimately if violence comes upon us it isn't our fault and the narrative of sex workers deserving this violence is absolutely absurd yeah um i'm gonna get the acronyms wrong but it's sopa and is it sopinka in the states Talking about sesta and fosta thank you I don't know what the heck Sopinka is. I think it was... um, SESTA is Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act, and FOSTA is the Federal Online Sex Trafficking Act or something like that. Yeah, so these are ridiculously... um, Overreaching. Yeah, overreaching American laws. And, you know, well, that's in America. Fine. Fuck them, whatever. Uh, But also, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Craigslists, the this, that, and the other thing. Are based All out of, of the these states. are based out of the states. Well, so it's it really actually more than us. that too, because there was <clears throat> beyond Foster and Sesta, there was the Cloud Act initiated, mm-hmm. which is I can't remember. It's, cl- it's clarifying legal ownership use of data. I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but um, it, basically what it does is that any website ending in .com is under U.S. jurisdiction, no matter if the person, the webmaster of that website lives outside of the states, if it's registered out outside of the states, and if the data is stored outside of the states. No matter if all of those things are outside of the United States, they are now 
within U.S. jurisdiction because mm-hmm. of .com and because of the uni- the internet infrastructure residing in the United States. Yeah. Well, I mean that. I have a bunch of .coms that I own. So sure, now but do you, I'm are you selling? S- but are you selling sex on them? Maybe. <laughs> who, who knows? Nobody with damn business. Sure. But uh, apparently it's America's business. I didn't know that. Which is, um, which is an intense thing. Like it's it's a, an international. <clears throat> it's an international overreach. So mm-hmm. they're overreach that has affected sex workers in America negatively. Um, you know, it affects the ability to communicate things like what you were doing before. Mm-hmm. You know, your... back page got shut down yeah. as a result of it. So, mm-hmm. and that was one of the largest and better websites that sex workers use to advertise their services uh-huh. and and also in spaces in which people communicate and things like yeah. that about potential clients or potential bad clients stuff well like and backpage that. would uh not so much communicating with each other no mm-hmm. but um they would backpage would uh participate with law enforcement and were actually proactive in in reporting um advertisements that they felt or suspected were um you know, human trafficking cases or underage kids. Yeah, I saw an article about it just a couple of days ago where basically, you know, American law enforcement... You probably saw... I shared that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Half of what I know about sex work is coming from knowing you. But um, I was astounded by, you know, how little they seemed to know going into it, what their assumptions were, how they were completely wrong, but just proceeded to destroy back pages anyway. Oh, for sure, because there was a lot of people who felt... (laughs) That back page, like they had um, scapegoated Backpage as being like the harborer of all this trafficking. And, You're eating the children. Right. Sure. But all it was was um, a very deep um, reaction to prostitution um, and sex workers um, and, and a revolt against them. Um, yeah. It ultimately was people who do not wish to see sex workers exist um, or to see the sale or purchase of sexual services exist um moralizing and coming in saying mm-hmm. that this is wrong forcing a narrative that isn't actually true um and then Im- embedding um or sorry incorporating legislation that actually harms not only the consensual sex workers but the people who are trafficked yeah. in sex it's it's um pretty gross I want to set you up with a lob because I feel like this is something that we both know, but maybe maybe many people haven't thought of in depth. And it's, to my mind, it's safer for sex workers. Mm-hmm. It's safer for, for people who are potentially going to be human trafficked, if mm-hmm. that's the way of saying it. Um, it's safer for um, children of all sorts that could potentially suffer from things. If things are out in the open, if things are happening in spaces that aren't hidden. So, you know, as soon as you <coughs> hide uh, interactions and as soon as you mm-hmm. hide transactions and stuff like that. Robert Picton, or the Picton, the murderer <coughs> from Vancouver. Oh, from, yeah. Because of the changes in the community there, sex workers, street-based sex workers were pushed farther into the clandestine parts of the city and mm-hmm. they were murdered because of it and they were doubly targeted for being indigenous and sex worker. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it's also worth being noted that like Faustin Sesta hasn't really improved any situation. It's made it worse. Um, to mention that, you know, sexual assault and um, coercion and violence and kidnap and all these other things are still and were already mm-hmm. illegal before FOSTA and SESTA were implemented. Yeah. They, under those legislations, could have enacted the same kind of um, help that they are s- saying that they're giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and this with, is kind of like, you know, the greatest analog I can think of is the war on drugs. Yeah, it's, it's very like, similar. Pe- people are going to do drugs. Yeah, it's also and similar to the war on HIV drugs. as well, people who live with HIV. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Is like the more you they see us as dirty, they see us. They see sex workers as yeah. uh, vectors of disease and HIV as well, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, data shows that's false. Um, but neither here nor there. Yeah, you're probably a lot more careful about sexual interactions than most people are. And typically, you know, if it's what they do for a living, they just know a little bit more about it, being yeah. being wise. But um, data shows that when sex workers are emboldened in their communities, they actually prevent the um, contractions of HCV and HIV. So Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, not a question, but 
thank you for doing what you do, <laughs> like with Swap. <laughs> I think that it's really important Thanks. that someone does that because, you know, there's people seem to reach in and fill the gaps that government leaves. And, and that's a thing that many I... many of them. Yeah, that's a thing that I noticed. It's like living in Hamilton, which is... You've been here two or three years now? One, actually. One? Oh, just okay. over just, one. I feel like you've been here forever. It's okay. I'll be here for a while. Yeah. feels like that, too. But Hamilton's a place that... I, I'm in love-hate with Hamilton. It's the worst. Oh, it's great. It's fucking awful. Oh, the trees are blowing in the breeze, and I'm walking through the valley. I fucking disdain so much about this city and there's so many problems but yet it seems to do well because of the people and you're one of the people that does really well by others so fucking cool there's a lot of people in the city I'm not the only one no, in well, fact that's part of why I came here is because I knew there was a lot of like <clears throat> activism happening and mm-hmm. was really attracted to that so I wanted to be able to make my own you know um, make my own path uh, alongside people who have wisdom yeah. About that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm learning constantly from other people who are doing things and I'm just sitting there eating it up. Um, I feel like, even though the last couple of months um, have been really extra messed up for... Thanks, Eisenberger. Yeah, uh, for almost everybody in town that's any person that's dealing with oppression of any sort. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm seeing more and more people giving a shit. Whereas before it was just kind of like, no, everything's fine. And people didn't realize that it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you've grown accustomed to living in Hamilton over the last year. Previously, you were in Cambridge? Uh, like K- Kitchener Waterloo area. Kitchener Waterloo area, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, I lived up there. It's, it's a. a pretty okay place in a general kind of sense how does hamilton compare for like living as a trans woman living in a in a that i guess you don't have the option of living here not as a trans woman but uh you know how does it compare feel wise do you feel safe here i suppose is what i'm asking um feel no less safe yeah good um I left Kitchener Waterloo because I was gentrified out of my Kitchener apartment um, a long time ago, and then I was, um, well, in a housing instability situation where I needed to find somewhere else to live, and mm-hmm. and Hamilton seemed to be the what was calling me because of the the scene, and and I do have friends here, so figured I could um, have a new experience in a new city and try and network some more. Yeah, and I'm so glad you're here because yay. Um, over the last couple months, uh, I've been looking at everything and just, you know, there's been moments of like just deep sorrow where I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here. This is all too much. Gonna go live in the woods. <laughs> and, and, you know, I do that every time something's upsetting. I'm like, I'm broke. I'm going to go live in the woods now. But, but I'm not like going to abandon ship and leave Hamilton as tempted as I am to just like rock it out to get Northern California or something like that. Um, There's something special about sharing struggle. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we've got now is like, like, yay. Thanks everybody. Now we're together in this. Thanks Gert. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've seen you get kicked out of city hall. Now they'll know it's me. Oh, no. Uh, Should I cut that out? Don't. No. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Don't. Hey, Fred, don't bar swap because we're better than you. Uh, don't cut that out, too. Yeah. Politically, though, um, in a general sense, I know you're like super uber duper left. Uh, from what am, I a totalitarian, am I a totalitarian leftist mob all unto myself? I think so. What a trophy. You're, you're a power. Thanks. I'm um, the mitochondria of uh, uh. Hamilton. But in, in terms of... Uh, what, was the, what was the thing that they Struggle? were... Struggle? No, no. Uh, I was looking for the, the chaos queers. That's yes. what it was. Um, you're one of the chaos queers, I, was, I suppose. I participated. 
Yeah, which was awesome. I, I went down to City Hall when they were, you know, camping out at City Hall, and you were there singing and DJing and having a wild time doing flips in Hamilton. It was karaoke. <laughs> that was a really magical thing. It was nice to, to uh, reclaim space. Yeah. Considering um, how alienated many of us in the in the LGBTQ2S community felt um, uh, because of the last two months in Hamilton and the pride mm-hmm. debauchery and debacle with the police and the mayor. Yeah, and, and it's the I, counselors. I don't wanna, we we could talk about the specifics of that for so long, but that struck me as like one of the great moments in all of this is seeing that space taken. And then just held, and nobody dared to, you know, to mess it up. They did try the Saturday morning, I think it was. They did have us surrounded at some point, but I think it was mostly because of the yellow vesters. Yeah, and they then, wanted to set up the barricades and whatnot. But the yellow vesters didn't get the opportunity to be there because the, the space was taken up by the people camping there. Mm-hmm. So. And there was, like... I don't know, dozens of people camping overnight or something like that. It's a decent amount of people. Which I thought was really, not Not insignificant, you know. It wasn't just a, uh, as Sam Marula might put it, uh, you know. A handful of bad people. A handful of bad eggs or whatever he said. Um, They're certainly not bad eggs. uh, Exactly. My favorite response to that whole Sam Marula thing is, if there were five people wandering around hitting people with bats in Hamilton, just uh, randomly... It's a small gang. That would be the biggest thing ever. There would be constant headlines. The city would be doing something. Police would be mobilized. They'd be out in the streets solving that problem. And we've got people that are consistently espousing hate against immigrants, espousing hate against the LGBTQ2S, etc. community... And and it seems like the police give the exact opposite of a fuck. <laughs> well, they certainly have doubled down. Um, I feel that they have an image to uphold and they have investors to please and they are not very good at public relations, frankly. Mm-hmm. Both of them, neither the police nor the mayor. Yeah. And when you say investors, that's a... I mean the people that yeah. are looking to develop in the city for the on the backs of the current residents mm-hmm. to displace them and to create a profit based on condos and businesses that are superfluous. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, that's, so that's a, that's a thing. We've, we've been talking about gentrification in Hamilton for... I've been here 15 years. It's probably been a mainstream conversation in the arts community for like 12 years. How long have you been debating the LRT? Because we just had that finished in Kitchener, and I can tell you, you do not want it here in Hamilton. Mm. Um, You do not want it here. It almost ruined Uptown Waterloo. If you want to talk about local businesses and how it would affect the actual business owners, Uptown Waterloo, which is like a huge hub of of locally owned businesses, was mm. almost ruined. We lost our cinema even. We lost our Princess Cinema, which was one of God. the historical cinemas. Yeah. I love that place. I because of the LRT. Uh-huh. Yeah, because of the LRT. It, the LRT is... Prices shoot up. Right. The LRT is a way to placate um, those developers and mm-hmm. those investors. And it is a way to sell an image of a modernized city um, for people with wealth that don't in- exist in that city. You know, it's they're, they are replacing the current residents to make the city more appealable, mm-hmm. of course, to people with money and people who want to come here on the backs of all of the poor people and people who struggle. And, and they don't think there's anything wrong with that. See, I, I'm pro-LRT, so I don't look at LRT as the problem. I look at everything else as the sure. problem, and LRT would be awesome. So if they were doing the right things with regards to protecting housing for people... How about improve the bus? Prices down. Improve improving the, the bus is Improve the too. HSR. For sure. Start there. Get an extra I mean, Barton it's, bus it's each day. it's been a decade of lack <laughs> of investment in the HSR. They do a terrible job of it. Bring the fucking... Bring the tickets back. Yeah, you can curse, by the way. Oh, bring the fucking tickets back. You know, having a transportation system, a public transportation system that doesn't have single fare options Uh is incredibly oppressive. That, like, the fact that an individual would have to, at minimum, purchase a $10 per 
or $6 Presto card and then put $10 on it at minimum, $16. Mm. At Shoppers for, Drug Mart. At Shoppers yeah. Drug Mart for one fare is ridiculous and mm-hmm. is completely an obstacle to the poor in this city. And, oh, and I think that, and, and all of the people who considered that contract should be ashamed of themselves because what they are doing is purposefully disenfranchising the people who are already disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you can explain that to them and it's not, it's not hard to understand. Profit. Yeah. And it's just, they don't give a fuck. They don't, oh, less cost to the taxpayer is, you know, sometimes. And it's like, who is transit for? Is what the, the question comes down to. So it's when I see a massive investment like the LRT, I think about the question, who is transit for? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, right now it's for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about my own usages of it. And, and it's mostly coming between here where we are right now, all the way across the city over to Dundas and... And the better that I can do that, the better for me. And then I look at how Take other the people 52. use it. Mostly I do. Um, and, and how the other people use it. And I think about what's better for them. Better transit is better for everybody with the exception of... The transit rating saying, system is well, a little bit problematic. Yeah. The, Stagnant. That's, that's a whole ball of worms. But... I mean, they forced amalgamation on Hamilton, and there's going to be dealing with that for a really long time, which kind of sucks. The conversations that have happened in Hamilton over the years, it's the first people that I saw talking about gentrification were the artists' community. And then, like, a couple years Mm. later, as the artists are being gentrified out of James North, the anarchist community came in and was like, the artists are causing all of this. And I was so pissed. For a while, it's like when the tower first started existing as a thing in Hamilton. I was like, "Those guys are all assholes. Don't listen to them." And I was, I was like, glad that there was an organization, and I felt like they were blaming people who weren't to blame. So I was so upset about that for a while, and now I'm like, I just have. I think maybe it was more that they were criticizing their upward, like, for an artist who has made a life off of their art mm-hmm. living in a city like Hamilton I'm sure rent was much less back then sure I think maybe the and I don't know about much at that time but was it them actually blaming the artists or was it them crit- like criticizing their social positions I don't know because I so <clears throat> knowing many many artists in Hamilton most of them are as broke as I am yeah. which is pretty fucking bad you know very at risk consistently and sacrificing a lot to do both community work and their art, you mm-hmm. know. Um, there's a handful that I know that are doing very well. Mm-hmm. And, and when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, your work's pretty good. You deserve that, I guess. And, and I wish that that could happen for more people. Right. So I don't look at, like, that community as a community of people that have, have essentially done well by uh, the processes that have happened in Hamilton? I think, if I could rephrase myself, what I mean to say is, as someone who knows the people who are involved with the Tower Collective Mm -hmm. um, and have friends among them, I... And, yeah, I'm biased, but I would also... I wonder if they were criticizing the fact that they're like, these artists who have made it big are only now complaining once they've got the boot of capitalism kicked at them, and it's kind of like they haven't... They weren't political until it affected them, and that's kind of the point yeah. of But that's of the activism. flip side is, is true no. historically okay. in Hamilton. It's There's been, um, you know, the first conversations that I ever heard about mm-hmm. gentrification were coming through um, Mayday magazine that mm-hmm. was in Hamilton and run by Matt Jelly. And, you know, I have I him feel on like, Facebook. And yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> um, you know, always a very politically active guy, not always 100% on point, much like myself. Um, but I, I felt like the criticisms came forth without an understanding of the history of what had actually happened here. And I'm not like, for a while I was pissed about that. I was mm-hmm. just like, you guys are picking the wrong enemy and, and it sucks. And you could have had allies in this, out of this community and then they didn't end up. And, and that's a thing that's ongoing is like, cause I'm not going to put the whole Lock Street thing on the whole tower. Because it, I think it, that it that's... It actually was not. It was well, some that, dude that came out of town yeah. who thought it would be cool, who didn't listen to the rules, who, mm-hmm. like... And I will just say, for the sake of law enforcement, I was not a part of it. I didn't <laughs> know those people at that time. Um, however, 
I mean, I heard it was just some dumbass who came in from out of town and so ruined it for everybody. It wasn't actually too. the Tower Collective folks who did the thing. And it's so. hard to get what the truth of what happened out of the situation. I also have the understanding that Cedar Hopperton wasn't involved at all, didn't from attend what was going on, only Pride held a book for Lockstreet. Uh, I did not. I didn't know any of them at that time. I think I would have come into the community probably just like a few months after that yeah. was like <clears throat> but, had happened. But what or? I was going to say is that Sorry. there's been a demonization of the anarchist community or mm-hmm. you know the anti-fascist community peripheral to that um, mm-hmm. because you know it seems like anarchists and communists are the first to stand against fascism, which fucking awesome. I love that. But you not know? together. They don't stand together no, no. often. S- separately and Which somewhere is... more black, somewhere more red. It's confusing to people, but, you know. Um, somewhere more totalitarian. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> um, but, like, and I'm not saying, hey, guys, get your public relations shit together. Because, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm grateful for what they did at Pride. And I'm grateful for, like, in particular, the year before, mm-hmm. when they came and very successfully mm-hmm. rebuffed people at Pride. That was a wonderful thing. And and I have this thing in my head that keeps going off with regards to how things went down at Pride. And it's like, I'm trying to figure out if it's the truth or if it's a conspiracy theory that I'm running. But what I think happened at Pride is that the police from above like you know someone higher up in the police was like well if we do nothing when that happens if it goes down just like it happened last year it'll turn into violence so we're not going to do anything and it'll turn into violence and then those people that held up the black barricade last year who are the tower slash anarchists slash whatever however they're looking at it sure um you know Lovely pink ninjas in my life. Allegedly. Allegedly pink ninjas. But I, I look at that as like a way of getting those people for them. And, and so it becomes a question of when you look at all of the ins and outs from the beginning to the end of all of this stuff, what has actively happened? One guy who was very directly seen smashing people in the face with a weapon yeah, was arrested. That guy they could not not arrest, you know, and he's from Kitchener. All of the other things that the police have done here seem to be centered around arresting anarchists. And and that's a thing that is undeniable. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like when you look at how it's functionally happened, that's been the whole point of this. So it's either the hanging out to dry of the queer, trans, and non-binary community in Hamilton has either happened through the incompetence of the police, which is which is bad a fuck enough, or else it's happened because they don't care about them as compared to arresting a handful of anarchists, which is fucking ridiculous. And I've not been able to figure out which of those things is true. Or reality. And, and I don't know if I get an answer to that. Yeah. It's like, so I'm asking you, like, what your feels on that are. Oh, I feel like, um, I think that people did what they needed to do to protect themselves. And yeah. the police spun it in a way that was not only violent and irresponsible, but um, false. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't wish to speculate on what the police's strategy or intentions were, but I can tell you that in effect they were harmful. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, one of the most harmful things was straight up the lie of we've made arrest an arrest related to the events at Pride. Even though that person wasn't which is, at Pride. Which is face-saving for them. They're telling the community at large but who they isn't going to read. Yeah. They're telling the community at large, which isn't going to read beyond the headline. Oh, well, everything's fine now. They made an arrest, mm-hmm. is what so many people in the city thought. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a couple days later, well, they've made some more arrests, so everything's going to be fine now. I don't know why everybody's complaining, a bunch of whiners, <laughs> you know. And, and that's what so many people are thinking, because they right. don't look into it. And so Cedar was not a pride. 
their arrest had nothing to do with anything to do with pride other than speaking at City Hall in related ways. Um, I like what Cedar said at City Hall. I think it's important. And just There was nothing illegal about what they said. <clears throat> oh, hell It no. wasn't inciting violence. When well, queer people... When, when one states the fact that queer people need to protect themselves in the absence of material and practical protection, uh, that's not inciting violence. That's literally stating the fact that queer people protect themselves when they are not protected. Well, it's telling the truth. It's directly the truth. It's and like, speaking truth to, to power is threatening. Uh-huh. Yep. That lie by the police... And, and there were several press releases directly saying that it was related to... and All facades. Yeah. <clears throat> that set a tone for this entire fucking thing. Like, not to say that we would have felt everything was resolved, mm-hmm. but that set up this, like, really weird spun-out opposition thing mm-hmm. where... <clears throat> You, you can't hope for better out of them, you know, and and I don't know how they could possibly do better. It's without, like, you know, admitting at every possible, in every possible way, what's happened and saying we were wrong and we're sorry and this is how we're going to do better. Like, well, that's not going to fucking happen. They could just stop existing. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, I mean... Oh, but I'm sure you should probably edit that out. You'll have a no. Lot of why not? Well, so there is a. That's a thing that I've thought about before, and it's a thing that I've thought and felt before. Well, if only the police didn't exist, then we wouldn't have this trouble, this trouble, this trouble, this trouble. They do function to do something, but. So let's call it what it is: the violence of the state, in in a like in the most basic fashion. So the police are the threat if you step outside of a certain set of lines, which does functionally do a bunch of things. Um, but I think that we need to look at it very directly as violence. You know, so imprisoning someone against their will is violence, and um, and setting up sets of punishments for this, that, or the other law in even if they're in considered ways, is still violence. So this is the violence that we have collectively, supposedly, agreed upon as the means of maintaining the control in our society. The flip side to that is, well, what happens if you just make that go away? And I don't like... That's where the thing comes in for me, is like, if you just make that go away, and there's not any structures what happens well the point being is that we don't have strong communities and Mm -hmm. with strong communities police become obsolete and so the point being is not that we just want to get rid of police and everything's fine we want to get rid of the reasons why the police want to get rid of the yeah we want to get rid of the systemic reasons not just why they would be required because i would argue that they're not always required Mm -hmm. i would argue that we can act with autonomy in our own communities and act in ways that best meet all of our needs in our communities without an overarching authority um, with with a threat to imprison us, should we act outside of that? Yeah. And and this, like, this dovetails into a lot of my personal thoughts on, you know, where are we left when our institutions fail us? Is, well, we're only left with ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know? We're the only thing that we have is, you know. And I'm, I'm such a sucker because I'm always hoping for the best out of things, even when it's, like, repeatedly just not happening. So I've been political in this city for a long time. I know that they're going to fuck it up, you know. Every, at, at every turn, they're, they're not going to get things right. They're going to misunderstand it. And uh, they're going to, you know, spend time demonizing the wrong people or looking at it from the wrong perspective. I know that. And, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and yet I write letters to the mayor and be like, come on, do better. They're not going to. So we're left with us. Mm-hmm. And, and I could never say that I'm glad all of this shit has happened. But I know you better because of it. I know a bunch of people better because of it. I feel stronger because of it. 
sometimes I feel threatened because of what's gone down and how it functions. Um, as for your perception of the community at large, so the queer, trans, non-binary community at large in Hamilton right now, do you feel that we're in a better place than we were? No. No? No, of course not. <clears throat> I think because that we have a sense, of, a renewed sense of um, uh, drive, uh-huh. and I feel that we have a collective sense of urgency but I wouldn't say that we were better off. Yeah. I'd say that we're more ac- acutely aware of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the path to better off, and I, it, it's like a, that's a really big thing, and I'm going to be like, Yelena, tell us what to do, because that's, like, it's not a fair question. And Usually it, I get paid to tell someone what to do. I've got, like, $13. <laughs> it's okay, I don't like dominating anyways. Fair enough. Um, but creating more and more community connections Mm -hmm. seems to be you know knowing that there's more people that have your back knowing that there's more people that you know not just in this Mm -hmm. seems to be the most powerful thing I I think about my parents um, and they they're a little bit like me. They have lots of acquaintances and then just like a couple of close friends. So I look at my life and the people that I talk to and it's, you know, it's perhaps surprising given the amount of bloody Facebook friends that I have, but I talk to uh, just a handful of people. And it's relatable. Yeah, so there's like four or five people that I really, really love and really, really trust and I stay connected with them all the time. And that's my little community. And I feel like, I know that that's too small, you know, and, and I'm trying to actively work on doing better by that. But the parents thing is, they're doing the same thing as they get older and older. And you read about like um, the relationship between community and lifespan. And it's, it's a direct mm-hmm. connection. It's like the more people you know, the more people you interact with regularly, the longer that you live. So it's like, you know, maybe that's partly to do with sense of joy, how well you are related to being happy and when you're doing more. And, you know, it's also maybe you've just fallen on the floor and it's being found within an hour versus being found four days later rotted with the cat eating your face. But everything that I keep coming back to tells me that engaging in more and more powerful community is so healthy for not just the individual but for the community and everybody involved in it and and oh my god what a crazy wild anarchic oh the the horror (laughs) you know if if this is the the root of uh what folks want and and the root reasons of the why of it is to live more fulsome lives by being better connected to each other that's that's really powerful and wonderful and and i think that we do need that um and i'm not i'm not saying that that's like necessarily the anarchist perspective i I don't know that i'm a perfect person to to lay that out there's no perfect anarchist yeah well so that's that's part of the thing is when i was involved in in that kind of stuff back in the day i i disinvolved myself because um there was this idea of uh well we must dismantle the state is like this big part of it and it's that seemed like the exciting idea that um, that eighteen year olds became engaged with and wanted to burn down McDonald's, and I'm just like, well, well, fine, fuck McDonald's, but also, you know, be careful, and there's people that rely on those things, but I I felt like there was a sensationalization of the ethos of the thing within the people that were saying that they were involved in it and these are just the people that I knew back in the day not necessarily saying anything but there's also a peripheral sensationalization of the ideals of anarchist folks in a general kind of sense as perceived by the communities external to them Hmm, sure so when people look at the tower in Hamilton they don't really see that well 
it's a community drop-in center in a lot of ways where people can go and just be around other people. And it's a welcoming, safe space for a lot of folks, um, mm-hmm. which is... They hold a lot of queer trans social events as well. Yeah, which is a really <coughs> powerful and wonderful thing. Um, and again, we can't be the, uh, you know, help the marketing for uh, the anarchist community or anything like that. But is it important to repair that perception and how does that happen um i don't know whether it's important i think that like i think ultimately people get caught up on dumb shit instead of doing the right thing and i think that like the idea that respectability politics is what's going to hold our revolution back just makes Mm. me really frustrated so part of me says no and i think that people just need to get their heads out of their own ass and um realize that the insulated world that they've lived in isn't the real world and neither is it history. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, when you look through any period of time, now is the the least bloodied in one sense, but I think we discount a lot of violence that occurs and pretend sure. that it d- doesn't happen. And, and I worry about... Um, I worry about how this time's going to be looked at in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they're going to be like, no, everything was fine. <coughs> it's, it's, it's very possible. Yeah, because that's the way we're pretending it is on television and in the media for the most part, other than, you know, sensational aspects that you can put into headlines. Um, that's about <clears throat> it. <laughs> yeah, it's... I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But I'm hungry. But you're hungry, and and I need to get myself. But to clarify just a couple things on the way out, um, do you consider yourself an anarchist in those general kinds of terms, or just peripheral to them? Um, I consider myself to be one that always challenges the status quo. Whether that makes me an anarchist or not, I don't know. I'm probably in the same space. Um, what is anarchy in a very basic fundamental sense challenging the status quo there we go like the powers that be Mm -hmm. understanding how they came to be and living in a world where we are not bound by gods or masters or the police or the state Uh Um, that we act with autonomy in our own communities with the best intentions and, and, and results and impact in our communities so that we don't require authoritative forces. God, that sounds so awful, you, you monstrous people. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Cheers. <laughs>